Amen. Let's pause for a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this evening. Father God, we do come humbly before you. Father, we recognize that we are unworthy of this privilege. We are unworthy of this honor, this glory of gathering together to worship you. We are unworthy of the gift that you've given us of salvation in Christ. We are unworthy of the gift that you've given us of redemption, of being saved from our sin, of being saved from ourselves, to live in relationship with you, to live for your purpose, for your glory. Lord God, what a wonderful gift you've given us, the gift of yourself, the gift of knowing you, God of all glory. Father, we come humbly before you, and Lord God, we realize we cannot understand anything except by your Spirit giving us understanding. And Father, while we don't deserve for you to speak to us by your Spirit this evening, Father God, I ask that you would be gracious, that you would be merciful to us. Father, would you speak to us? Would you open our hearts, our eyes, our ears, our understanding, to understand the truth of your word, to see the glory of who you are, to see the glory of what you have created us in Christ Jesus for, to see the reality of ourselves, to be honest and transparent before you, to allow your spirit to bring conviction where it's needed. Father, you know that I have nothing. I am nothing. God, I can do nothing. I have nothing to offer except you, and your word. Lord God, may your word by your spirit have success in our hearts and our lives tonight. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I um, read a story the other day of a, a policeman in Chicago. And this uh, policeman was uh, going and he was, he was beginning to write a ticket uh, for a vehicle that was double parked in the middle of a very busy um, street there in Chicago. As he began to write the ticket um, for this double parked vehicle, a man came running out of a building. He said, officer, please stop, please stop, please don't write me a ticket. He said, well, what do you think you're doing parking here? You can't park here, officer, officer, please, please don't write me a ticket. You can't write me a ticket, I just, I had to park here. What do you mean you had to park here? He said, I had to park here because I had to have something to worry about to numb the pain from going to the dentist. The officer finished writing out the ticket, handed it to the man, and he said, you don't have to worry anymore. Just pay $150 to the judge. Worry. You ever worry? Or maybe um, you just get a little concerned at times. We were good at prettying things up, aren't we? Or perhaps sometimes I wonder if we substitute the word stress for worry. Maybe, maybe I should put it another way. Do you have peace? Is your life characterized by peace? Let's look again at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. As Paul talks about this in these verses, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about everything, anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus. Paul says, as we focus on verses 6 and 7 this evening, do not be anxious or do not worry about anything. As we look at Paul's instruction in verses 6 and 7 this evening, we'll see that I can be free from worry. I can be filled with indescribable peace when I choose to trust God and surrender my life to his plan. Tonight, I trust that we'll discover how we can experience genuine peace. 
So Paul says, do not be anxious or do not worry about anything. First, let's clarify, what is worry? Well, I think we all have an idea what worry is. Worry is being full of mental distress or uneasiness because of fear of danger, fear of misfortune coming. Worry is first a matter of our thinking. It's first a matter of our view of life and and life events. It is not, in most cases, the reality of danger. That's fear. But worry is the anticipation of danger, the expectation, the thought that, that some danger or some misfortune could possibly come to me. It is the fear of what may be. Our fear of what may be either harmful or simply contrary to our desire leads us to our continually thinking and focusing on the perceived potential negative. It produces stress, produces a raised heartbeat, Ulcers, sweating, high blood pressure, headaches, body aches, decreased immune and digestive system function, and all kinds of other physical problems. Being full of mental distress and uneasiness because of fear of danger or misfortune. Worry is also mental stress. Mental stress over unfounded or excessive negativity. The worst is always going to happen, and we worry about it. Unfounded and excessive negativity. So worry is a close relative to fear and distress. But notice what Paul says here. Paul says, do not worry. Do not worry. This is a command. This is a command. Do not worry. Literally, it's nothing be anxious about. Nothing be anxious about. And in putting nothing at the beginning of this statement, Paul is emphasizing something. And then Paul adds to that the present tense. So really, what Paul is saying is this. Stop worrying and do not, under any circumstances, worry about anything. And that's a command. Boy, that hits hard, doesn't it? As I was going through, studying through this passage and thinking about these things, I just continued to have this, this, I don't know, uh, heaviness and burden. The point where I got to one point, and we'll see this statement in a moment. I just burst into tears. God, how guilty I am. Stop worrying about anything. And do not worry about anything under any circumstances. You know, the the amazing thing about this is our our response, most of us, a lot of times, I hear this in conversation, whenever we talk about worrying, worrying being a sin, I hear people say, well, everybody worries, so I guess I'm guilty. Hey, I'm guilty, because we all worry. And it seems that the thought is, well, because we all worry, you know, it's okay. I mean, hey, you know, we all do it, you know? And so since we all worry, it's, hey, it's no big deal. It's okay. It's, it's kind of an accepted thing. It's okay because, hey, we're all guilty. And so if we're all guilty, then it's okay. Now, when did it become okay to commit a sin because we're all guilty of committing the sin? Listen, the fact that we all worry doesn't change the fact that worrying is a sin. It only demonstrates how wicked we all are. Listen to that. Let that sink in. Do not fall into the trap and the lie of thinking, because we all worry, it's okay. And I don't have to worry about worry. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to be concerned about it. I don't have to try and change. Because everyone worries. This is small stuff. It doesn't matter. Listen to me. We're going to see tonight. This is not small stuff. Worry is not small stuff. 
Everyone worries does not make worrying acceptable. It only demonstrates how wicked we all are. Jesus talked about worry. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look together at verses 24 through 23 as we look at what Jesus says about what causes worry. What causes worry? Matthew chapter 6. Now watch what Jesus says here. This is so critical at the beginning here. No one can serve two masters. Underline that. No one can serve two masters because here is the first key issue of what causes us to worry. No one can serve two masters. Our worrying comes from trying to serve two masters. We'll see that as we go here. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot have divided allegiance. You cannot have divided interests. If you have divided interests, if you have divided allegiance, you are going to be filled with worry. Now watch this. Look at the beginning of verse 25. For this reason... No one can serve two masters. He's got to be devoted to one or the other. And because that is true, because no one can serve two masters, because of that, I say to you, do not be worried. Do not be worried. I've heard people before say, well, Paul said that. Jesus didn't say that. Well, hello, guess what? Jesus said it too. Do not be worried about your life as to what you should eat or what you should drink or for your body as to what you should put on. Now, some of us will respond immediately, say, well, yeah, well, I, I don't sweat that small stuff. I don't worry about that. You know, I, I trust God. Listen, the only reason you trust God for your food and clothing in your house is because you have it. For a lot of us, that's true. Just let it be threatened. You say, I trust God for my food. Well, let's see what happens if you become bankrupt. Do you still trust God for the food in your cupboard when they're empty? Oh, I trust God for my home. Just let your cell phone ring right now and somebody tell you your house is on fire. See if you trust God for your housing. Oh, I trust God for, for my clothing. Just lose everything and let's see if you really trust God. Jesus is talking about the very core elements of life, what really matters. We say, well, we worry about things that don't even matter. Think about it. So much of the things we worry about in life are things that don't even matter. We stress over things that just don't matter. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 26 Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? In fact, you take it away by being worried. Verse 28. Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Finish the verse. That's the second cause of our worry. You can't serve two masters. And you're worried because of little faith. Verse 31. Do not worry. Jesus, did you have to say it again? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For, do not worry. For, The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Do not worry, because that's the kind of stuff unbelievers worry about. See what Jesus is saying? This worry you're doing, this has no place amongst my children. 
that's the kind of thing people who don't believe in God do. That's what the Gentiles do. Do not worry. But the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Do not worry, for your heavenly Father knows what, that you need all these things. Do not worry, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry. That's what the unbelievers do. Don't worry. God knows. Don't worry. Seek His kingdom. Based on what Jesus said here, let's look at two causes for worry. The first cause of worry that Jesus points out here is the unsurrendered life. The unsurrendered life. Worry results from discontent. When I am not content with what I have, when I'm not content with my lot in life, my situation, my circumstances in life, when I am, am discontent, worry results from discontentment and a failure to surrender my life to God's sovereign provision and plan for my life. It's trying to serve two masters. It's when I hold on to something and I say, I want this. Whether it's a thing, whether it's success, whether it's advancement, whether it's a child, whether, whatever it is, whether it's my health, and I'm holding on to it, I will not let go. Guess what? I'm going to worry. I'm holding on to it. And if I don't have it, I'm worried about it. If, there's, if it's threatened and I could lose it, I'm going to worry about it. But if I let it go and say, God, it's yours. It's yours to do with as you please. Guess what? The stress and the worry goes away. When I am living and striving for the advancement of my agenda and my desires, I will be filled with worry when these are threatened in any way. When my life is about my agenda, when my life is about my desires and fulfilling my desires and my agenda and, and the things that, and I've got all my life set out and planned and everything I want to happen and it doesn't happen, guess what? I worry. What happens when it's threatened? I worry. The more I have surrendered my life to God, including all my desires, my goals, my purpose for living, the more I will be free from worry. Let me illustrate this for you a little bit. There's a time in my life when I had my prized possession, 1982 Pontiac Trans Am. I bought it from a linebacker who played for the Philadelphia Eagles. I love this car. When I crashed that car, I was very unhappy. I worried about that car, taking care of that car, and, and so forth. It was another car I owned. It was a Dodge Colt. It's the first, time, first car Andrew and I owned together. We actually bought it while we were still engaged. Um, I guess I bought it. And um, I bought the car for $250. I put a new engine in it for, I think, another $250, got it painted. I had about five or $600 into it. And after a couple of years of, of owning it, I was just kind of getting tired of it. You know, it was a little Dodge Colt and didn't, didn't do much for me, you know. And I remember praying. And I look back on it and I, I wonder why God answered my prayer. I remember praying, Lord, nothing wrong with this car. It's a good car. Good, solid car. Engine's in great shape. The body, everything about it's in great shape. Lord, I'd like to have a different car. Within a week, somebody ran a red light and totaled my car. I went home, walked in our little apartment, beaming from ear to ear. Andrew says, what happened? What are you so happy about? I said, I wrecked the car. <laughs> she said, get out of here. That's not true. I said, yeah. I said, somebody ran a red light. The car's totaled. We got to get a new car. <laughs> got $800 for the car. I think God answered my prayer by showing me that it wasn't a new car that I needed. 
I wasn't too happy with the next car either. It actually ended up having a lot of problems. Worry comes when we are living to establish and build our kingdom. When we are striving to build our kingdom, when we're striving to, to be in control, when we're striving to have it our way and do it our way, worry comes when we are living to establish and build our kingdom with all its comforts, with all its perks, and when life gets uncomfortable and life may become uncomfortable, I begin to worry because I'm not living for God's kingdom and you cannot serve two masters. The more I surrender my desires to live for joy in the Lord, here we are again, joy in the Lord, the more I will be free from worry. When I'm delighting in him, when I'm living for him, for his kingdom, in Matthew 6.30, Jesus says, a piercing indictment. You of little faith. Why do you worry? You of little faith. Worry is a result of the unsurrendered life. Something in my life that I'm not surrendering. Something in my life that I'm not laying before God and saying, God, this is yours. You can do with it as you please. But worry is also a result of unbelief. Worry is primarily a result of the sin of unbelief. And this is where God began to break my heart again. Because two months ago, I had to confess my sin of unbelief. Because I started to forget I started to fail to trust God and to believe that God can change people's lives. God can change a church. God can change a community. God can change a culture for his glory, and he can. But I had begun to forget that and lose faith and be guilty of the sin of unbelief. Worry is a result, primarily a result of the sin of unbelief. Worry is failure to trust God with my life. It is. Worry is a failure to trust God with my life. Worry is failing to believe that God is in control of all my life circumstances and my future. Worry is often looking to the future. It's, it's expecting something. It's anticipating something's going to happen that I view as bad, that I view as, as misfortune, something that's, that, that's not favorable to me. And I look to the future, and I think this could happen. And so I am filled with mental anxiety, with fear, with doubt. Hello? Unbelief. Unbelief. It's failing to believe that God is in control of my life, my life circumstances, and my future. Worry is failing to believe that God can and will fulfill his promises. Worry is a failure to believe that God will fulfill his promises. Listen, we don't have time tonight to go through all the promises of God, but I think you know enough. I think you know enough that whatever it is you may worry about, you can identify a promise in Scripture that is given to you from God that is a rebuke of your worry. Look at this. Worry is failing to believe that God will work all things for my good and his glory. There's one per promise right there. When I worry, when I worry, I am failing to believe that one promise we all know. Right? How many people have that verse memorized? I'm waiting. I know there's more than that. Okay, all the people that never raised your hand in church before. Okay, now's your time. Okay? Romans 8.28, who knows that verse? God is able to work all things to good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, I see, but there's a couple people. It's like, okay, I raise my hand. Listen, when I worry, when I worry, and when you worry, it is failing to believe the promises of God, to believe that God will work all things for my good and his glory. Worry is failure, failure to believe God, to believe that God is in control, 
that God is doing what is best for me. And this is where the Lord really broke me. Look at this. Worry is an insult to the character, glory, and greatness of my God, who over and over again has demonstrated his perfect care and plan in my life. And I'm quite confident you can say the same thing. Over and over again, he's demonstrated his perfect care and his plan in your life. I'm sure you've seen it. And worry is an insult to the character, the glory, and the greatness of my God. When I worry, I am insulting my God. My God, the great, glorious God I know, who I experienced, and I've seen him do great and glorious things in my life. I've seen him bring victory. I've seen him deliver. I've seen him fulfill his promises. And I worry? What an insult. What an insult. You know, parents, it's like you know, one of your children going and, and going to a friend for help. You know, and, and you find out about it, and you, and you say, well... I don't understand. Why didn't you come to me? I just wasn't sure you'd help me. I wasn't sure you'd do what's best for me. It's an insult, isn't it? It hurts, doesn't it? That's what we're doing when we worry. We're insulting our God who's proved himself over and over to us. Look at the words of Gene Veal in his article, Worry and Anxiety. God takes so much interest in worry because it is unbelief. And it is unbelief in such deep disguise that when we meet someone exercising this particular form of unbelief, we feel like giving them sympathy. They're there now. You'll be all right. Whereas God says, no, repent, stop this way of life. This isn't something to give you sympathy, to affirm you in your worry. It is rather to say, stop that at once. Be anxious for nothing. I encourage you to look at his complete article, Worrying Anxiety, at www.cgod.org forward slash worry.htm. But pray before you do it. Pray for strength. The essence of worry is that we do not trust God to handle the circumstances of our lives. And in a sense, we take responsibility for what rightly should be his responsibility. Do you ever feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders? Do you ever feel like you're carrying the weight of the world? Guess what? You're not supposed to. That's God's job. He's God, and you're not. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. We would like to respond to this command with agreement by saying, yeah, don't sweat the small stuff. But God says, don't sweat any stuff. Don't worry about anything. Do not worry about anything. That's the wrong response. Now let's look at the proper response. Responding to worry. Paul says, but do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What is the answer for worry? It's prayer. Prayer in everything. But we need to understand what is the nature of prayer? What is this prayer Paul is talking about? Here it is. The Greek word here refers to an act of devotion, an act of adoration. The Greek word here that Paul uses refers to worship. 
do not worry about anything, but in everything, worship. Adore God. The prayer God desires is always governed by three things. Get this. This is so important for us understanding how to get victory over worry. The prayer God desires is always governed by, number one, appreciation and worship of the greatness of God. It is always about appreciation and worship of the greatness of God. Second, it's about a passion for the advancement of the glory of God. That's what the prayer God desires is made up of. Appreciation and worship of the greatness of God. Passion for the advancement of the glory of God. And submission to him as God. You're God. And I'm not. You know, Jesus' disciples came to him one day as they observed the Pharisees teaching their disciples how to pray. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And you know, the first two petitions of the model prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, when his disciples asked him how to pray, we call it the Lord's Prayer. The first two petitions focus on the exaltation of God and his kingdom agenda. Our Father, who is in heaven... The salutation begins with recognizing who we're addressing. But then he says, hallowed be thy name. May your name be set apart. May your name be praised. May people recognize who you are. Hallowed be your name. It's about the praise of God. The second petition, in two parts, your kingdom come and your will be done in earth as it is. In heaven. The first petition is a request for God's glory to be seen, for God's glory to be exalted. That first request in prayer, the model prayer that Jesus gave, reflects a heart that is intent on God being honored, on God being glorified. It, it, it reflects that the, my life is about the advancement of God's glory and God's praise. God, above all else, as I come to you in prayer, the first thing that's on my heart, the first thing that's in my mind, the first thing that's on my lips is, God, may you be praised. May people see the glory of who you are. Second, the second petition, again, emphasizes a focus on God being exalted. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It reflects an attitude of submission to the rule of God as he's called on to be the one who judges. It reflects a personal attitude. God, you be king. You be judge of my life. I want you to rule, not me. It reflects an attitude of complete submission to the will of God as one's authority in life. That's how Jesus taught us to begin to pray. Our Father is in heaven. May you be praised. May your name be exalted above all else. And God, may your kingdom and your will advance. The top priorities in biblical prayer are the exaltation of God's glory and the advancement of of his kingdom. These two priorities must guide and govern all other requests. Let's get that straight. When we begin to see worry set in, we need to stop and say, what am I not surrendering to God? What am I not trusting God with? In what way am I falling into the sin of unbelief? And let me stop and worship. Let me think about who God is. Let me reflect on who my God is. And God, may you be praised. God, I don't understand this. I'm not sure yet how you want to praise your name. I'm not sure how you want to get glory for yourself through this. But God, I want your glory to be seen. And I know you want your glory to be seen. And so above all else in this, 
Help me to be intent on demonstrating your glory, seeing your glory, seeing your character, and helping others to see it. And God, may your kingdom be advanced through this, and may your will be done above all else in this, no matter what I think, no matter what I want. And everything by prayer and petition. Petition or supplication now is the act of making requests. From that attitude of passion for the glory of God, knowing God, seeing God's character demonstrated, we now make our requests before God. We're encouraged to bring our requests to God. But then we also do it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving really should be the second Governing attitude and action in all of our praying. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. With thanks, giving thanks. We can genuinely give thanks, even in the face of person, uh, painful circumstances, when we have a high view of a glorious God and are committed to his purposes and his glory. We can give thanks because we know God's working. You know, I believe, I believe I especially see God working when things don't make sense. When I look, I look at circumstances that seem particularly painful, particularly difficult. And I say, God wants to do something special. God is looking to show his glory. God doesn't waste anything in the life of his child. It doesn't happen by chance. It's all a part of his glorious plan to mature you and show his glory through you. And everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be known. Requests emphasizes the objects asked for, the things requested. Do not worry about anything but worship God get a vision for his greatness his glory get a passion for him being glorified submit yourself to him being God Peter says cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. you know, I discovered maybe a year or two ago, perhaps longer. My, my problem is I have problems. And I take those problems to God and I say, God, I'm, I'm bringing this problem to you. I'm bringing this situation to you, and God, I'm giving it to you. I can't fix it. I don't know how to fix it. My wisdom is not, is not good enough to fix it. I don't trust in my wisdom. I don't trust in my understanding. God, I'm giving it to you for you to fix. Here it is. <sighs> an hour later, I get a phone call. Just wanted to give you an update on that situation. God! I thought you were going to fix this. God, I'm giving it back to you again. I, I realize I just took it back, and, and, and I've been, I'm here I go. I'm stressing about it. I'm worrying about it. I'm afraid of what's going to happen. And so, God, here I am on my knees again. I'm going to give it back to you again. Here it is. Whew. All right, everything's going to be fine. God's going to fix it. Some new developments. It's getting worse. God, I, I gave this to you to fix, and you're not fixing it. God, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. I brought this to you for you to fix it. You know how to fix it. This, this, and this was supposed to happen to fix it. But it didn't happen. You know what the problem is? I never gave it to God. 
I went before God to tell him what to do. I didn't go with an attitude of, Lord, I'm submitting this to you. Lord, if it's got to stay this way so that you can be glorified, let it stay this way. If I've got to hurt for you to be glorified, God, I don't want to hurt. I care more about your glory being seen. What I do is I bring it to God and say, God, you fix it, and here's how you're supposed to fix it. Now, of course, I'm not an idiot. I don't actually go to God and tell God what to do. I don't actually go to God and tell God exactly what he has to do. I mean, I'm a little more spiritual than that. But it's in here. I, I, I mean, in here, I, I know what I expect God to do. I have an idea in my mind how God's supposed to fix it. And when I give it to him, when I pray, it's kind of in my mind, here's what God's going to do. I'm giving it to God, and here's what God's going to do to fix it. You know? My friend's going to go to the doctor, and the doctor's going to say, I don't see the tumor anymore. It's miraculously gone. That's what God's going to do. Because I've given it to God for his, to show his glory. The tumor's still there. God, you didn't fix it the right way. God says, I'm not about fixing the tumor. I'm about changing some lives. I'm about bringing some people to Christ. I'm about bringing some people to maturity in Christ. And guess what? The person with the tumor, they're the one that's going to do it. Perhaps months, a few years later, I see it. Once we place our concerns at the throne of God, surrendering the results to God, trusting Him, here's what will happen. When I truly do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds. In Christ Jesus, we will receive peace. What is peace? The absence of hostilities and stress, the presence of tranquility and harmony. It is the belief that all is well because all is well, because my God is in It is peace that is beyond comprehension. When we have our minds fully focused on the greatness of an infinite, sovereign God, and when our hearts are fully committed to God's purposes, God's plans, and God's glory, we will have peace that defies explanation. And every one of us can experience it. Every one of us can know that peace. But listen. Listen to me very carefully. Don't try and pursue the mind focused on the greatness of God and the heart focused and committed on the purpose and plans and glories of God just so you can get the peace. Because guess what? It's not going to happen. You know why? Because you're not pursuing God. You're pursuing the peace. God doesn't want you to pursue feeling good about your circumstances. God wants you to pursue feeling good about him, and he'll take care of the rest. You understand what I'm saying? God's saying, pursue me. Get your mind focused on who I am. Get your mind focused on my greatness, my glory. Get your heart passionate about glorifying me, and the peace will come. But it's not about pursuing the peace. It's about pursuing God. And the reality is that the wisdom and understanding that I get when I focus on knowing and exalting God will far surpass all my anxious reasonings and thoughts. All the time I spend chewing over things, thinking about things, fretting over things, 
trying to figure things out, looking for different solutions, different ways I can make it happen. All of that will pale to insignificance. We'll see the foolishness of it because we'll see the glory and the greatness of God. God's solutions, God's thinking will begin to flood our minds. And we will have peace beyond comprehension that will guard our hearts and our minds. When I see life from God's perspective, I will understand life. I will be at peace in life, no matter how great the turmoil around me. And that's why I'm so guilty. Because I have seen it. And yet I still fall into the sin of unbelief and worry. This peace will stand guard like a soldier against thoughts that lead to worry. Got peace? Or you got worry? Which characterizes your life? The truth we see in this passage is that I can be free from worry. And I can be filled with indescribable peace when I choose to trust God and surrender my life to his plan in every life circumstance and situation. God says, repent of the sin of worry. Repent of the unsurrendered life. Whatever it is you're holding on to, let it go. Whatever you're insisting must change. Let it go. Let it go. Give it to him. Let him do what he wants. Repent of the sin of worry. Repent of the unsurrendered life. Repent of unbelief. And experience pray. As we close, I want to give you an opportunity for a moment or two to respond to God and his word. Listen, it's not my word, it's his word. He says, do not worry about Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. And so I tell you, don't worry. Forsake the other master. Jesus says, don't worry, you of little faith. God has, through his spirit, convicted you of the sin of worry, the sin of something that you're not surrendering to him, the sin of unbelief. Why don't you take a moment and confess that to him? But let me tell you something. God is not just looking for us to admit our sin. God is looking for us to repent of our sin. Confess it and determine Satan would like to keep you in that place of guilt and condemnation. Yeah, I'm wicked. I'm the worst warrior of the bunch. Yeah, I'm guilty of that unbelief. Yeah, I'm guilty of that un un unsurrendered life. Satan would like to keep you there. When Israel was in the midst of conviction, Nehemiah stood up and said, Stop. You've repented. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Put the past behind you. And now determine, God, I'm going to rejoice in you. I want to find my delight in you. I'm going to let you control my life. I'm going to let you do what you want. It's all yours.
Maybe something specific you're worrying about, you're fretting over. Give it to him. Determine to trust him. Father, you have demonstrated your greatness, your glory. You have demonstrated over and over again your ability to take the worst situation and make something glorious out of it. You did it at the cross. No greater horror than the innocent Son of God being nailed to the cross, and you turned it into the most glorious event in history. And we've seen it in our lives. God, you have shown yourself to us over and over and over again. Lord God, help us to believe you. Help us to trust you. Help us to take you at your word. Free us. Convict us of our sin of unbelief. Make your praise glorious in our eyes. Your greatness, your glory. But as we see a great and glorious God, we're passionate about your glory, about your kingdom, about your will being done at all costs. Lord God, the difficulties, the troubles, the insults, mistreatment, the things that we stress over and worry about, Lord God, that they would become insignificant. We'd see them in a new light, in light of your glory in us. God, change us. God, thank you for your patience with us, for your grace.